Okay, take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, back to Romans chapter 7, and let's uh, take a stab at what uh, is becoming uh, more and more complex and more and more, mm, shall we say, difficult. Guys, before we lose sight of um, um, what, what's the, the saying, you, you missed the forest for the trees or something like that. Uh, we're in the midst of the forest, and we're, 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 uh, I'm not sure you're enjoying uh, being there. Let me remind you of a couple of things. Um, we're in Romans 7, as you know, but turn back with me to Romans chapter 5. Because the present section in which we find ourselves was spawned by the sweeping introduction of grace um, that Paul makes, uh, particularly in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 5. Moreover, the law entered that sin, <coughs> excuse me, that offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is that statement, ladies and gentlemen, that was so extraordinarily new, so um, completely antithetical to what had been the religious lay of the land. Um, Judaism had been promoted or had, had promoted for, for centuries uh, a system by which men sought to earn their favor and their standing before God. And then here comes this, this ex-Jew who introduces this thing called grace. And, and the, the whole idea was so foreign to the, to the hearers that immediately questions began to arise. Um, grace, ladies and gentlemen, is... Um, almost too good to be true. Now, you've heard the saying, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. It probably isn't, or whatever. Um, but the, 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 the provisions of grace are so <clears throat> shockingly profound that people are still missing it. That is, um, every other world religion available to you still is promoting something that is contrary to this, this message of grace. That um, God is willing to forgive sin based on the merits of another. That is just, that just goes against the grain. I mean, aren't you supposed to earn it somehow? Isn't there supposed to be some kind of contribution that I should be making so that God would be happy with me and we could settle the account? Well, ladies and gentlemen, ultimately, if you boil it all down, every other major world religion will tell you that exact thing. That is, uh, work hard, keep your nose clean, you know, do the things we tell you, and ultimately, uh, all will be well. And so Paul arrives on the scene preaching something that is completely antithetical to the system as is, or as was, or as is today. Grace, ladies and gentlemen, is contrary to all else. 
Uh, it's just not the way we think it ought to be. That is, we are all born into the world thinking that the way to prepare ourselves to leave it is to be good boys and girls. And then Paul says we're sin abounded. Grace did superabound. <laughs> that was shocking. Still is, ladies and gentlemen. Still is. Um, um, most of the people that you know are living under that kind of delusion. That is, that somehow I've got to um, uh, barter with God with some kind of uh, performance uh, um, currency that would make him willing to to accept me. Well, I say that, guys, because chapter in six and seven, chapters six and seven, you must not forget are Paul's effort at correcting errors that arose in response to what Paul had taught. That is, Paul is trying to preclude errors. Chapter 6 is devoted to correcting this idea that he mentions in verse 1 of chapter 6. Okay, Paul, I hear what you're saying. All right. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? I hear what you're saying, Paul, about all this freeness of forgiveness and all. Okay, Paul, here's what I'm thinking. If that's true, then why don't we just go sin it up? I mean, sin, just get a gutful of it. Um, and then this God of grace of yours will be able to just really shine because he's got a whole lot more to forgive. That whole chapter as we looked at for a year, uh, was devoted to correct that misunderstanding. But you see, the misunderstanding came when grace was introduced in 5, 20 and 21. The introduction of grace produced error that Paul's trying to correct in chapter 6 and in chapter 7. Look, um, look with me at chapter 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. How do you think a Jew heard that? What? I'm not under law? Well, I've been under law for two millennia. Um, you, I'm not under law. What do you mean? I don't know. You know, Moses is our hero. The Ten Commandments. You know, Jewish cultic system. You know, I'm not under law. I'm under what? Grace? Listen here, buddy, you are attacking that which is at the very heart of my theological religious system. Yes, he was. And so, this chapter 7 is designed to, to correct notions that Paul's doctrine of grace somehow um, obliterated, negated, eliminated... Law. Paul's opponents, or at least his Jewish audience, wanted to pit Paul, that is Paul's doctrine of grace, against law. Because all of Judaism knew that you were ultimately saved by law. Well, what, what Paul's opponents were seeking to do is to pit him against millennia of teaching about law. 
And so chapter 7 is designed to correct a mistaken notion that law is absolutely no good. And he says a couple of times, no, law is spiritual, law is good, law is holy, etc., etc. Because he's trying to correct people who are saying, you know what Paul really teaches? You know this grace stuff that Paul is teaching? Well, if you, if you buy into that grace stuff, that means that um, the law has, no absolute, I mean, has absolutely no role. And he's trying to correct that. Now, guys, if you, can, if you can stay with me one more minute here. So you got the introduction of grace, chapter 5, 2021. Two chapters, 6 and 7, trying to correct errors that were basically created by 5, 20, and 21. Now, if you can store that away, let's, I want you to do something with me. I want to read with you. Um, go back to chapter 5. Let's read 20 and 21 again. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, guys, what I, what I tried to do is, Paul is going to pick up where he left off in 520 and 21 in 8.1. Um, but the chapters 6 and 7 are parenthetical. They're stuck in between 5 and 8, but they're stuck in there to correct mistakes that came up because people just can't get this grace thing down. I don't understand this grace thing. And then um, he comes to address one problem in chapter 6, and then he comes, and as I've been telling you for weeks, chapter 7 has to do with the role and function and per- the right role, the right p- function, the right purpose of the law. Now, now we come to this, this, actually, tonight we're going to come to probably the most controversial verse in the most controversial section of the most controversial uh, chapter in the book of Romans. Because he makes a statement in verse 15, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Anybody thought that today? You know, any, this, this, this whole idea of, you know, I, I don't understand my own self. I don't understand that uh, what I will to do, what I want to do, that I don't do. But what I hate... That's what I find myself doing. Now, that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I spent uh, a good deal of time trying to convince you that that is a a statement that can legitimately flow through the lips of people who are born of God's Spirit. This is the experience of a mature, believing man who, who is wrestling with his own soul and says, you know, dead gummit, I don't understand it. 
I want to do that, but I don't do that. I don't want to do that, and I do do that. That is the, that is the, that, that's the sound of a regenerate heart. Now, um, what he does in verses 16 through 20 is he proceeds to draw some deductions, I guess, from the statement that he made in verse 15. This is what I'm experiencing. And then he gives us one deduction in verse 16 and then another deduction in, in verse 17. Let's do 16 rather hurriedly because 17 is where the rubber meets the road. Um, okay. If then, if that's my experience that I just described for you in verse 15, if that's my experience, I do what I will not to do. If that's what I'm doing, I'm in verse 16, if I'm doing what I will not to do, what I, the result of that, or the deduction I'm making, is I, re, I agree with the law that it is good. To do what I do not approve of doing means that I agree with the law and what it says about the thing that I'm doing that I don't want to do. I agree with the law that it is good. I consent. I, um, I, I heartily concur. I agree with the law. I, I, don't, um, I, don't, I don't approve of what I do. The law is correct in condemning that thing that I do. I don't approve of what I do, nor does the law approve of what I do. I am in agreement with the law. Thus, because I'm in agreement with what the law says about me and what I'm doing, that means that the law is good. The law is not the problem. I'm the problem. Um, the, the law is not responsible for the way that I'm living. Now, again, remember, his opponents are trying to pit him against the law. And he's saying, wait a minute, the law is not the problem. I'm the problem. The law's not responsible for my failings in, my, in, in the way I live. Uh, he is, in essence, clearing the law from all blame. He is clearing the law from any sense of wrongdoing. The law didn't cause me to do what I'm doing. No, no, no. The law's good. Don't blame the law. Blame me. Sort of. <laughs> Hold on to that sort of. Because, ladies and gentlemen, that is the, that's the critically controversial part. And here it comes in verse 17. But now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. All right, guys, take a good long look at the text. Um, I'm clearing the law of any responsibility. Do not blame the law for, for my behavior, uh, which includes things that I don't even approve of myself. The law didn't make me do it. But looking at verse 17, which, ladies and gentlemen, is utterly astonishing. That is, verse 17 is astonishing. What does verse 17 
appear to give you the right to say. Something like that, Bobby. Good. That is, the law didn't make me do it. But, he says, it is no longer I who do it. But it's sin that dwells in me. Now, guys, can you see how controversial that might be? That might be. It's controversial because it, it, it almost affords you the opportunity of blaming for your bad behavior something in you called sin. And very honestly, you can. You can. <laughs> now, we have to tweak that just a bit, but we'll, we'll do that before we finish. But, guys... Um, he opens verse 17 by saying, but now, that is, since I'm, I, I've become a Christian, now in my Christian state, um, how then does sin happen at all? The law didn't do it, and I don't approve of it. Then who's responsible? And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, his answer to that question is absolutely astonishing. And it should give you a good deal of insight into your own soul. The law didn't do it. The law doesn't approve of it. I don't approve of it. The law is good. All right. How does this behavior continue to take place in me? Uh, sin that dwells in me. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there's, there's a lot to say about those little words. Because what Paul has done is divide himself into, into, a, into a duality. That is, um, he is saying that there is a part of me that is pitted against a part of me. There is a duality that exists in my soul. Now, guys, stay with me. This is just a bit of an aside. Do you remember we have talked much about whether he's describing a regenerate man or an unregenerate man in this section? The only person that can speak of a duality is a person who is a regenerate man. The unregenerate man cannot speak of a duality. But we can not only can we speak about it, we could give testimonies to its existence. We could all stand up and, and amen. Yeah. There is something about my soul that wars within me and sets up... Co- you know, ladies and gentlemen, um, I hear, and I, I just heard it this past Sunday, and this is really kind of a bizarre statement, um, but I, I had a, a person come up to me Sunday, and it was... Um, um, was a very sad situation, a very unseemly situation. It's a very, it's a un, very unfortunate situation, and the details are just would really boggle your mind. They boggle mine. Um, but the point is, this person was saying about this person's spouse, my spouse is an addict. Now I'm not going to tell you which addiction um, that uh, we're talking about here, but the issue was an addiction. I want you to know something. We're all addicts. We're all addicts. Because there is within us a principle that wages war inside um, of the soul of the regenerate man such that 
at the end of the battle, here's what here's the result. What I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. The battle goes on, and that's the result. I, I have a, a, a part of me that wages war with another part of me. And to the point that um, uh, the battle ends up with me being defeated. Um, I mean, verse 15 is describing a man that doesn't understand his own practice, his, his own behavior, saying, I, I, I don't understand this. The, 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 um, the, the analysis of it that Paul gives you is that there is in the regenerate man a principle of sin that wages war such that um, in the midst of this fight, Although there is a part of me that wants to obey the law that I say is good, I don't. Because the, this, um, this principle of sin that is abiding in me brings me to the place that I do what I hate. And there is no amount of willpower that is going to um, defeat this other me. Even the Christian, ladies and gentlemen, is unable to keep the law, which is a, um, a very important uh, piece of information that you must possess. Some of you people who are disciplined, some of you people who pride yourself on being organized and being good citizens. Some of you folks that say, you know, I kind of play by the rules, I obey, I'm kind of an obedient personality, I, you know. And some of you who think that that kind of personality style is going to give you a, a head start on the rest of the people of God in terms of holy living, I'm telling you, you have the same principle within. And all of that wonderful willpower that has made you a good Marine is not going to be enough for you to win over this sin principle that abides in us. How you like that? How you like uh, knowing that um, there is something in me that is that I with whom with which I wage war, and it dominates me so much so that the good that I would I do not do, and the very evil I hate I, I find myself doing. Now um, I, I got to hasten on because I got to I got to get to the uh, what I hope is a solution. But guys. There is an observation I want you to see, or just a principle, um, in, in trying to explain this. Here's the principle. The nature of anything, stay with me, the nature of anything determines its desires and thus its choices. Do you get that? Is that highly applicable to you? Well, let me show you what I mean. Keep your finger there. Go over to John chapter 2. 10, I think. Yeah, John chapter 10. The nature of anything determines its desires, which in turn leads to choices. Okay? Now read with me, or just read, uh, follow as I read, John 10, 26. 
Jesus says, You do not believe because you are not of my sheep. You see that? Notice, he doesn't say, You are not my sheep because you don't believe in me. He says, uh, You don't believe because you are not my sheep. It is nature that precedes actions. It is not, you're not of my sheep because you didn't believe. No, you're not of my sheep, therefore you don't believe. It's nature that determines desires and thus choices. I say that to say this. What did Paul say about the regenerate man's nature? He said this in verse 14. I am sold under sin. That is, that is a description. That is Paul describing his regenerate nature. He says, this is, what, this is what I am. I'm sold under sin. Now, if my principle is correct, which it is, that is, nature determines desires, which thus leads to actions, and my nature is sold under sin, can you see the problem? I, I, it is that being that nature uh, gives me certain desires, which leads to certain choices. Um, it is the um, it is this power of sin that governs my will, because my nature is that of sin. Now, let me tell you two quick things, and then I'll try to give you a little bit of a, a solution here. In the second half of verse 17, and he repeats this in verse 20, he mentions something that is vital to Christian experience, but this is the only two places in the Bible that you find it. And it, he says in verse 17, but sin that dwells in me. Have you ever heard the term indwelling sin? Well, this is where it comes from. There is indwelling sin in the life of the believer. That's where it's found, verse 17 and verse 20. So he tells us a couple of things about sin. First of all, he tells us it dwells in us. It is in our nature. We don't acquire it. It's not some impersonal force outside us. It is indwelling. Guys, um... In, in, in Paul's statement here in verse 17, there is indeed a sense of helplessness that you can, that you can hear or that bleeds through, I hope. He is saying, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, but there is this sin principle. There is this cry of helplessness that can only come from the regenerate heart. I say that because, ladies and gentlemen... The, the one thing that I want to try to avoid tonight is this. Well, since it's a sin principle that's in me, I, there's nothing I can do about it. And in one sense, that's true. But the one thing that does characterize the regenerate heart is that when he sees his sin principle, what do you see him doing? It is a, it is a source of enormous grief. That there is within him this love of sin. I, I want to say to you, ladies and gentlemen, in one sense, 
that is the one, that is the, the line of demarcation between the Christian and the non-Christian. Christians don't groan over their sin, and Christi- non-Christians don't groan over their sin, and Christians do. There is, Paul is, is giving voice, he's giving vent to this sense of hopelessness in his soul as he does battle with something that he hates. And that ought to be true of every one of us. Now, is there any more um, victory that, that uh, one can have over the other? Maybe. But the one thing, ladies and gentlemen, that should characterize all of us. Yeah, I see this in principle. Yeah, and I see that I lose. But the one thing that stirs me is that I hate that I, I know what the law teaches and I violate it. If there's anything that would be true about us, ladies and gentlemen, is that sin is taken so seriously. Um, I will even add this. This sin principle that indwells the believer is more powerful than your willpower. It dwells in my soul in, 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 in various ways and it takes its stand against my will. Um, this, this sin principle within me rises up against this other part of me that's been born of the Spirit. Um, and, and, and this other part of me longing to do right. Um, this other part of me that agrees with the law. And this sin principle rises up against that and I end up losing. Is that not amazing? Is that not amazing, ladies and gentlemen? But if there's an honest man in the room, is that not true? Is that not the experience of every one of us? I know I'll not be doing that, but... <laughs> so, yeah, there are addictions and addicts, but ladies and gentlemen... There is an addiction in all of us. We love sin. Um, now, this indwelling sin before um, is not merely a resident. It is dominant. Um, so, so much so that a regenerate man who is in love with Jesus Christ finds himself doing what he hates. Now, let me say two things by way of application, and, and I'm finished. Guys, the thing that I want, as I said earlier, the thing that I want to try and avoid is the idea that, okay, okay sarah, sarah, that's true of all of us. we got this sin principle. There's nothing I can do about it. Um, and that Paul is seeking to absolve his, his, his choices and his sinful behaviors based on blaming it on the sinful principle. I don't think that's what you, what you can square with the text for this reason. You will notice in verse 15 and verse 16, uh, for what I am doing, 
I do not understand. For what I will to do, I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that is good. Do you notice the emphasis that he is making? I'm the one doing it. He is not trying to shift the blame for his sin. He is simply trying to explain the warfare that is going on in our souls. But in the final analysis, he is taking all the blame for the choices that are so wrong and so poor. Now, the other piece of application that I want you to leave with, ladies and gentlemen, how do we go about correcting moral problems? Individually, corporately, nationally. Um, the, the culture says that the way to solve um, teenage pregnancies, the way to solve um, uh, high school dro- or the dropout rate, the way to solve uh, society's worst problems is via education. <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is good money going after bad. The... Um, The way that you solve a moral problem is not with education. It's with power. And it's a power that you don't have. It is a power that's granted to you, ladies and gentlemen, through the indwelling spirit that also indwells every believer. Your willpower will never be enough. One of the things that I want you to leave Romans 7 with, ladies and gentlemen, is this. Justification is by faith. Sanctification is by faith. You are not justified by law. You are not sanctified by law. The battle that is being waged in your soul is one that can only have any strides forward with an outside power. And that, of course, has been committed to us in the, uh, the residence of the Holy Spirit within our soul. Guys, so there's something in your soul that you don't particularly like. Well, the best way to battle is not by gritting your teeth, clenching your fist, and say, you're going to eliminate that thing if it takes the last thing I've ever done. The best way to address your soul's sinful inclinations is by calling out to God for the power to take to take over that territory that has been dominated by sin. We, we must look outside of us because what's on the inside is a, is a dominant reigning principle for which we are no match. The only match is through the indwelling, gracious work of the Sovereign Spirit As I said last week, as we by faith lay hold of our union with Christ over and over again. That's the way the soul is to be sanctified. Let's quit. Our Father, I do pray that you will um, clarify for your people what I have obscured. And that you will uh, uh, remind us that there is a duality in our souls, that that the difference between us and the non-Christian is something that you added. You added this regenerate part of us 
that has been waging war with the sin principle that was already there. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will grant us fresh supplies of grace to, um, to go on in the battle and to see strides forward being made. Thank you for your word, O oh God. Might we find ourselves instructed by it instead of a culture that offers its solutions that will never solve anything. Holy Spirit of God, grant, grant us victory over our, um, our love of sin. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.